When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Dugout. Premier League preview. Football Social Daily. After a week's hiatus in tribute to the Queen, the Premier League is back this weekend. Seven games going ahead across Friday, Saturday and Sunday, including the David Moyes derby as his current side West Ham take on his former club Everton. Bournemouth engage in their longest away trip of the season when they travel to Newcastle, still without a new manager. And it's a team yet to lose versus a team yet to win when Spurs face Leicester City. But we will be without Brighton against Palace, Chelsea versus Liverpool and Man United versus Leeds. So where on earth are we going to squeeze these fixtures in? Unprecedented circumstances, I know, but a question worth asking. And another burning question is who will go to the World Cup? And who will miss out? Gareth Southgate's latest England squad, a point of discussion. Names like Rashford, Sancho, Bowen, Alexander-Arnold and even Ivan Tony are all on the agenda. Welcome to The Dugout, the podcast featuring former Premier League professionals. My name's Niall and joining me today, we've got former Forest and Leicester striker, Matty Fryer. All right, Matty. Yeah, good to be on. You okay, Niall? I'm very well, mate. And we've also got ex-England international Trevor Stephen back with us. Good to see you, Trevor. Hi, Niall. Good to to join you and Matty today, of course. Yes, and lots to talk about, including this weekend's Premier League games. As mentioned just there, only seven to discuss. And we'll pick out three of the ones which, for me, are the standout games across Friday, Saturday and Sunday. But that's not where we're going to start. We're going to start with... What's going to be a crazy period for teams in the Premier League? After this weekend, it is the international break. Last weekend, there were matches postponed in respect to Her Majesty the Queen, who passed away a week ago. And three matches are off this weekend due to issues around police resources in response to the fact that we have a new king and the Queen will be laid to rest in a couple of days' time. So Chelsea against Liverpool, Manchester United versus Leeds, and Brighton and Hove Albion versus Crystal Palace is off. That was already off due to train strike but it's going to continue to be postponed. So I guess, Trevor, the first question is, where do we fit all of these postponed matches in? It's a bit of a head-scratcher with a World Cup very close on the horizon. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, <clears throat> some concertina effect is going to, um, going to happen. Uh, obviously, the events of the last few days um, uh, you know, very, very, very sad. 
Um, and you know, you know, football's made the decision to do what what they've done in um, restricting games uh, and delaying games or postponing matches. But it's going, it is going to be a real headache, and it, it, it all it's all a bit of a mess. Of course, we're trying to adjust to the World Cup uh, landing on us in November, um, and. It, it still feels that the Premier League is very much in its early stages of people still, you know, dusting themselves down as far as squads are concerned. Um, and rhythm is not really part of the game at, at this moment in time. Uh, and that, you know, it's when you start to see teams in a rhythm of losing or a rhythm of winning. And we, we've got a bit of everything going on at the moment. But it is going to be an absolute um, talking point. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I think it's, it's been such un, unusual happenings that I think everyone just has to get on with it and uh, accept it. I don't want to see any arguing and bickering and excuse making from anyone when the fixtures do come out because we're just going to have to do the best we can. Uh, and, and you're right; it is a it is a head scratcher this one. Um, but you know, there, there are people who are out there who create these uh, fixture lists and. Yeah, we'll just have to see how, how it all goes and uh, just wait for time to pass. Yeah, and you're right as well, because it is, as I mentioned before, unprecedented. We've not seen a change of Monarch for 70 years. And back then, the Premier League wasn't what it is now in terms of the, the, the commercial value of it and the amount of matches we have now. So, you know, no one could have legislated for what's happened at the start of the season when the fixtures were released. That's absolutely right. But Matty, you're someone who, as well as playing in the Premier League, you also played a number of EFL games. And I know there's more teams in the Championship and in League One, etc. Uh, but there's a lot of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday matches that take place, whether that's in cup competitions or just league matches. Is that something you can you can adjust to as a player? Does it take time? No, I think you can adjust to that, and that would apply to Brighton, Crystal Palace, for example. But when we're talking about Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, who have missed out on games um, with, like you say, unprecedented reasonings for it, um, and so they've missed out on what, a month's Premier League fixtures by the time the international break happens and they return to play. Now, being involved in European competitions, where do you fit the games in? It's not like, say, for example, Palace or Brighton. They can play Saturday, midweek, Saturday, or whatever, Sunday, whatever games. They, they can fit three games in for the schedule in the week. But when we're talking about Chelsea, Liverpool and Man United, they're going to be playing near enough every other day. And and you say, well, you could look in January and there's a bit of time where they could fill it then. FA Cup, games over Christmas, the Christmas schedule is already hectic. It's it's chaotic. And then you could say, well, actually, put on to the back end of the season. But those teams in question, they're going to be up and around it. And you can't delay on the basis of of a couple of teams unless you're going to move a few of them and miss out perhaps a weekend where some don't play to fill it in and just extend the season a little bit longer than than usual. I can see that being a resolution. But for for those those teams in Europe and trying to fit games in as well, it's it's gonna be well, it's gonna it's gonna be even more demanding than the championship schedule because they're sort of used to it, but at the same time, how are you gonna fit that many games in? 
it's uh, yeah, it's really difficult. Yeah, it's one of those as well where you have to fit to certain parameters. Like if you're talking about putting games towards the end of the season, we know the season has to finish with all teams playing at the same time on the final day because that's what you need for sporting integrity. So you can't just have two or three teams playing a couple of games after the season's finished for everyone else because that just wouldn't be fair. And then we've got this conundrum, which is why some of the games are off this weekend about policing and Manchester United versus Leeds is a game in which 75,000 people will be going to Old Trafford and there is naturally probably a, a heightened atmosphere there at that game because of the rivalry between the two teams. And, you know, you can't probably just chuck that game on any old day because of, you know, the policing surrounding that. And there's so many different logistical factors. So it is a difficult one to get your head around. But that's how things are at the moment. And as we mentioned, Brighton Palace, Chelsea Liverpool and Leeds United versus Manchester United are all off this weekend. Before we start talking about the matches that are on this weekend, I wanted to ask you boys about Erling Haaland. I'll come to you first, Matty, seeing as he plays in the same position that you used to play in. Uh, he scored again in the Champions League midweek against Dortmund. Ridiculous cross by Joao Cancelo and then like a Kung Fu kick finish. Uh, you know, Ibrahimovic-esque. We've seen him score goals like that in the past. And I thought that's an amazing goal and this is an amazing player who's only just started his career and could achieve great things. But then I went onto social media and made the cardinal sin of looking at what people were saying and I saw that people were mentioning that he's going to overtake Alan Shearer. He's going to be the best striker to have ever set foot in the Premier League. Hang on a sec. Although he's scored 13 goals already, which is unbelievable, he's only been in the Premier League for 10 minutes. Anything can happen here. What do you reckon? It'd be good when he... Um adjust to the premiership and settles down and gets used to his teammates. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I think we've every single time I've been on this show, we've we've mentioned and we've mentioned him. Um he's quite incredible, isn't he? Just the attributes he possesses and I think a player he strikes he's he's like Ibrahimovic and look at the career he's had and I think he's even quicker than what Ibrahimovic was. Um, obviously now he's in in the late, latter stages, but still his career has been phenomenal, the amount of goals he scored. Um, but to be saying about breaking Alan Shearer's record, um, yes, fantastic start and everything, but that's over how many seasons have you got to keep on performing? Um, hopefully he doesn't get any injuries, and that's if he stays in the Premier League. Um, who, who knows, he might, he might move and... God forbid that he doesn't get any injuries because that can slow things up. We've got to remember as well with Alan Shearer's record, which I think the one who's more more in a position to be looking at is Kane. But, it, but in that time, Shearer did have, well, very severe, well, injuries that test the, the best of you. So I think it was the cruciate, wasn't it, twice? And, and he still managed to get that goal tally. But to... Already be on about Haaland trying to get near that. It's as an even. I think his first thing would be obviously trying to keep on the form that he's in at the minute, and the the obvious one would be can he break the goals for a season record? Would be the first first target before anything else, and then it's obviously hundred goals. Can he get there the quickest? But then other things might play into it. Then so that's well well too early to discuss I agree it's far too soon and without sounding like I'm trying to bash Erling Haaland here because I'm not because I can see he is an unbelievable player to watch and he's doing it you know in the flesh from the word go but City in the league this season have played Villa Forest Palace Newcastle Bournemouth and West Ham 
And the toughest of those teams is no doubt West Ham and they're in the relegation zone. So I'm not saying that he's not going to score against Manchester United or Arsenal or Chelsea or Liverpool whenever these games happen, Trevor. But it is a bit early to start talking about someone like Erling Haaland breaking a scoring record as good as he is. I think he's uh, he's, he's demonstrated to us all um, that this was not all about the Bundesliga or the other places where he's been before. Uh, and and scored goals because we're we're always sort of uh, downplaying other leagues, aren't we? Um, and and he comes to the Premier League and he is he, he's just shouting out at you to take notice of him. Um, his his level of self belief uh, and and fearlessness combined with the, the hunger for scoring and combined again with a physique which we've never seen the like of, really. Um, or very, you know, very infrequently, the only one in size is getting towards him is you know, but Peter Crouch. But Peter Crouch was not that kind of footballer. This lad's got everything. And uh, you know, the, the, but the best thing I love, I love about him is, is how he anticipates uh, opportunity, and he dictates where the ball's going to be played. He reads where it should be played, but he's ready to go, uh, and he sets off uh, mentally that split second before others. And that's why he's got these goals. Because you can't say that he's played brilliantly in any of the games, but we don't know. He's all about he's all about goals. It's not as if he's you know getting on the ball, playing people in and, and all of that sort of thing. He's just getting on the end of things. And his uh, athleticism, his pace, you know, it must be scaring defences to death before they, they play against uh, Erling Haaland. I'm excited to see where it all goes. Um, of course, we talk about these things because he is shouting out at us. <laughs> Look at me. Um, and it, But it's a long, long way to go. And I think Matt is right. It's about can he be top goal scorer in the Premier League this season? Uh, and that's all he should be looking at at this moment in time. Uh, and I'm sure he is. I think he takes one game at a time and that one game he's going to score a goal. And that's what he thinks and that's what he believes. Yeah, I've no doubt that Erling Haaland will break some sorts of records during his career in the Premier League, but there are so many parameters to suggest it is going to be extra hard to break Shearer's record. And, you know, as Matty says, Harry Kane's probably the closest to that at the moment. So we're going to leave that to one side for now. Just calm yourselves, everyone. We've got some Premier League fixtures to talk about next, though. Newcastle, Bournemouth, Spurs, Leicester and Everton, West Ham all on our agenda. And we'll do it after this. The Dugout Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. 
And Ramp Software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is The Dugout. My name's Niall. I've got Matty Fryer and Trevor Stephen with me. I'm going to talk about some of the Premier League games this weekend now, of which there are seven across Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And these are the ones we've picked out to take a look at. And I want to start at St. James's Park, where Newcastle United welcome Bournemouth. Eddie Howe, the Toon manager, up against his old club, where he had so much success, of course, AFC Bournemouth. But they don't have a manager at the moment at all. It's Gary O'Neill in temporary charge. Scott Parker was sacked, not for the 9-0 defeat to Liverpool some weeks back, but more for the comments he made to the media after the game. Are you surprised, Matty, that they haven't yet found a replacement for Scott Parker? Or do you think it's worth them taking their time with an international break coming up to make sure they get the appointment absolutely spot on? Yeah, I think it's worth taking the time. Uh, I'd agree on that. I think results have been positive since um, Parker was dismissed. And I think, was it against Forrest last time out? Yeah. Um, yeah. 2-0 down, so they showed huge character to turn it around and ultimately win the game. Um, perhaps if results were different, then they might have wanted to do something a little bit sooner. But I'm, I'm more surprised that not too, too many people or... There's been news of a potential manager. It seems at the minute it's Gary O'Neill's, which fair play has come in. But at the same time, once it becomes challenging, um, you'd want a, probably a more experienced manager to deal with situations because he's taken it from a position where no one was looking at Bournemouth. It was like, well, they've just got thrashed. The the really poor. The man. The previous manager said that they're really poor. They need additions to the squad and he's picked up some some results so I think he was in a win-win scenario uh, obviously if they, they lost the game it would have been different but it was in a case of well they're not expected to do anything and they have um, so he's been given the opportunity to carry on and like you say after the game there's a bit of a break as well but I'm I'm really surprised that there hasn't really been any rumours or Anyone suggesting that the Bournemouth job is available? Do you know you you'd think, wouldn't you, that um, uh, inevitably Bournemouth are going to be in a relegation battle, and that that begs the question: Do you? Right, Gary O'Neill wins a, a couple of games out of the next three, um, which is very hard to do. Uh, let's say that that would be the what he does over the length and the marathon of the Premier League. You really want someone who's going to fight, has the knowledge of fighting the battle as a leader in the in the club. I think Bournemouth would look back and say, if they went down and said, oh, well, Gary's done well and let's give him till the end of the season. Um, mm. the, the likelihood is that... They, Which they ironically won't... is what happened to Scott Parker at Fulham, wasn't it? When Scott Parker yeah. was at Fulham, they gave him the job permanently. They went down came back up again, and then he jumped ship to Bournemouth. He did something similar, got them up again. So, you know, th- that's happened in the past. I don't think Bournemouth, you know, the way that they're, they're set up now, they, they envisage going down. They, they don't want that. 
Right, it was almost a period uh, previously where oh, it's great being in you know in the, in the Premier League, but the, there was a always a chance that they would go down, and they did. And they don't want to do that again. You know, when they had their run under Eddie Howe in the Premier League, um, they seemed to be a steady regular club, and they've they've sunk since then. So I, I I would imagine you know if I was them that they should go and get someone like a Sean Dyche that uh, is obviously to me um, a, a, num- a number one pick for the job uh, and give him the job till the end of the season. But um, you know when you are given an opportunity like Gary O'Neill is is being given, all you can do is you know play the next game and win it, and that's what is exactly what he's done. So coming from a nine nil defeat to a three two win away. Uh, is is remarkable, really, but sustainable? I don't think so. So um, I would be looking, you know, beyond what's there now, and Sean Dyche potentially for me would be the one. Well, I'm looking at the bookies' odds, Trevor. Sean Dyche is the the favourite at the moment to take over the role. That obviously doesn't mean uh, a great deal at this point. But Gary O'Neill is two to one, second favourite. Sam Allardyce, Nathan Jones, the Luton manager, Marcelo Bielsa, and Harry Redknapp. John Terry is also on the list of potential replacements for Scott Parker as the new Bournemouth manager. The one thing for me I think is really important here is Bournemouth's message after they sack Scott Parker about alignment with the club. Is Sean Dyche the person that they see aligning with the club and their values and their vision? Well, certainly the bookies seem to think so as he's the favourite. Moving on to Newcastle, though, who are Bournemouth's opponents at St. James's Park this weekend. They have had a lot of emphasis on improving this season, Matty, and with the money that's been spent and the richness that the owners bring to St. James's Park, they'll be hoping to try and finish probably in the top 10 this season. I think that's fair to say. But the way things have gone so far, they've only won... Just the one Premier League game. They've drawn a lot, though. They've drawn four, won one, and lost one in their six games so far. How frustrating is that as a player when you keep drawing games? And what's the mentality like in the dressing room, the feeling like? Because I think draws are really interesting as a concept in general because if you come from behind to draw a game, it feels like a win and everyone's really positive. If you're pegged back after being in front and you end up drawing from a winning position, you come out of the game deflated. And I think that that can change the mentality of players around the training ground. Yeah, it's a weird one with draws. Um, Touching on the championship, I think it was with Blackburn. I think they've won four, lost four, and find themselves in third. Uh, Could be mistaken, but they're right at the top. And people were saying the form's up and down, but sometimes it's better to win or lose than a draw. Um, Because if you win one, lose one, win one, you're going to have more points than obviously just picking up draws. Um, but I think Newcastle are in a good place, to be honest. I think they'd also have aspirations for a top seven position. Uh, I think the additions to the team and the signings have been good. Um, there's some quality players being added, while some experienced players and reliable ones within that mix. I think there's a good blend. I think Eddie Howe's done a really good job. It's just like you say, probably converting those draws into victories. Um, I think they're going to be missing three key players for them um, in this one in Wilson, Gamares, and St. Maximum, which any team would struggle losing them three players in terms of the goals, the creativity and what they do for the team. Um, but I think with Newcastle at the minute, there's some real hope, there's some ambition and I think they're in the best place they've been in a long time. I can see them kicking on. It's just at the minute converting those draws into into wins but it 
probably from a Newcastle perspective, it doesn't feel that way. Like I'm talking about them now and think the minute they're in a good place and you're suggesting the draws and they haven't probably picked up as many points as they like. But from an outside point of view, I feel that they're in a good place and would probably want to be pushing on for more even advanced roles and European positions, if possible. Yeah, I think as well, one of those draws that Newcastle had was against Manchester City, where they were 3-1 up at one point and ended up being pegged back to to 3-3. So, you know, you look at some of the draws they have had, I don't think it's like they're looking around at each other in the changing room thinking, oh, why do we keep drawing these games? So I'm sure they'll be able to get back on the winning trail soon. You'd like to think so, but with those three players out that Matty mentions, it's not going to be easy certainly with uh, with those players out. Spurs against Leicester is where we're going next. Tottenham are yet to lose a game in the Premier League. They're second. Leicester are yet to win. They're bottom of the table. First of all, from a Spurs perspective, Trevor, they lost midweek in pretty annoying fashion, if you're Antonio Conte, to concede two goals right at the death, losing the Champions League game, which looks set to be nil-nil. Um, are they going to respond from that? Do they need to respond from that? You imagine Conte's the sort of manager who'd, who'd whip them back up into shape pretty quick. Yeah, I can imagine Conte was pretty very annoyed about how they let let it slip. Um, just a little bit of sloppy uh, defensive duties not being done properly, uh, and and they, they were they were good on the night. Um, I, I said before the start of the season that the Tottenham squad to me with Conte at the helm is going to be a powerful um, uh, force in in the Premier League, uh, and I, I see them. Um, well, two two things really uh, have interested me about them: uh, the sort of loss of form that Son has had, uh, and I can't. And he's trying so hard to get it back. I mean, he's trying harder than anybody I've ever seen to still try and get on the ball. But every time he's on the ball, it, it seems almost like wooden. It, it doesn't. It's not look, looks like the, the natural kind of play that we've seen over the years from him. So he's struggling away. But then you got Richarlison. Who, who I actually think has proven me wrong because um, I didn't think at Everton he was offering that much. He was almost uh, the wrong player in the wrong team in the wrong environment. I just didn't feel as if um, it was ever going to work. But then I was also thinking, well, this guy's you know he plays regularly almost for, for Brazil. What am I missing? What am I not seeing? And I've seen it now at, at Tottenham because of the the better quality squad, the better quality players. And he's not trying to be anybody else other than himself, running around, getting in people's faces, being a pain in the neck to, to defend us. And he offers he offers something completely different from what they've had before. And they have this conundrum, don't they, about getting all their, their forward players in the, into the starting lineup now. Um, so... I really think that Spurs are have stepped forward hugely. Eric Dyer coming through, uh, and again, um, you know, Harry Kane will be very aware that it's a goal chase this season again, and he'll want to get himself on the score sheet once again. I, I just think underneath it all, uh, Antonio Conte um, is an unforgiving coach, a supportive coach, I'm sure, when it's right, but an unforgiving one when the when the players uh, are not at it. Uh, and, and I think they respond to him now. They have absolutely understood him and got him. 
So I fancy Spurs to win it. Just on Richarlison, I haven't spoken to you for a few weeks, Trevor, but there was a game, I think, against Nottingham Forest where he decided to start doing keepy-uppies and juggling the ball. Yeah. How many would he have got through in your day before someone has absolutely smashed him? <laughs> I wouldn't have even thought about it, right? It was, just, it was only George Best that was allowed to ever do that you know, way back in the day. Um, yeah, it was a bit cheeky, wasn't it? Uh, but he's a, he's a different mentality, a different sort and uh, I think that the Tottenham fans are, are quite excited about him because they're not quite sure what he is. He's a bit of a crackerjack, you know. He's um, he'll turn up in places that he uh, that he shouldn't. He'll miss chances that he should score, uh, and he'll score an unbelievable goal as well. So it's a, it's a mystery, the Richarlison mystery, I'll call it. Well, it might be a mystery to some why Leicester City haven't won a game yet in the Premier League this season. Your old club, Matty, things are not looking great for them right now. They are in the relegation zone, still chasing that first three points of the new season. Do you think that, in a way, the fact that we've not had games for a few days has allowed Brendan Rodgers to try and regroup and reset and refocus the players? Because there's two schools of thought here, isn't there? If you're in bad form, you almost don't want the next game to come because you know you might get beat again. Or you want the next game to come quickly so you can put the bad result from last week correct. So um, so what do you think about this break? And do you think that it might actually benefit Leicester? Yeah, I think it benefits Leicester massively. Um, I think when you're in form, you want games to come thick and fast. And when you're out of form, you, to be honest, you'd like to hide away from things. But then at the same time, with that, what I've said there, there's players, staff, I've got to step up, really, and show some accountability and leadership qualities because um, they're only going to do it themselves. No one's going to do it for them. And last time out against Brighton, they were really poor, particularly the second half. And I was a little bit concerned. Um, defensively, there was all over the place. And they've given some really poor goals away this season. And that needs addressing. Obviously, Fafana's gone and Whiteface has come in. Um, so that should shore up things a little bit at the back. but And he's had time to work with the players over that two-week period. So I think from a Leicester point of view, it was a, a much-needed break. And they can do some good work and that stuff on the training ground and see if they can implement it into the game against Tottenham. But again, talking about Richarlison and spoke about Kane before, they love playing against Leicester. Their records against Leicester is phenomenal. I think I can remember Kane, he scored four or five in some games against Leicester. And Richarlison has always been a nemesis against Leicester. So it's a really difficult game for them. But I think it does buy them a bit of time and then they can work on patterns of play, togetherness and trying to instill that into the players before. Obviously, what's going to be a big game for them. But... Um, I suppose everyone's expecting a Tottenham victory, so Leicester don't really face the same sort of challenge as what they would have previous against a home game v Villa, where that was probably more of a must-win as this one. You'd probably expect Tottenham, so if they can pick up anything, then it's going to be a bonus, really. 
Yeah, Spurs against Leicester will be one to watch this weekend for sure. Brentford against Arsenal and Wolves against Man City. The other two matches we haven't discussed across Saturday and Sunday because the final one we're going to move on to now involves Trevor's former club, Everton, and they host West Ham United. This is 16th versus 18th in the Premier League standings. Everton are the only other side apart from Leicester not to win a league game this season. Do you think that the Toffees can take advantage of a a West Ham side, Trevor, who have got off to a poor start and are struggling themselves? It's a big game, I think, for for both. I think both sitting on four points. I think at the bottom of of the league table, um, it's a home advantage for Everton. Frank Lampard has been buoyant. He's been quite happy with what he's seen. But what is not happening is they're not winning football matches. Um, it looks better, for sure. It looks a lot better as a side compared to last season, where you're really supporting your team with fingers crossed and things went for you. The Liverpool game was obviously massive and um, as, a, as a challenge uh, in both being up for it, um, being capable of putting in a good performance against um, what was what we all know as a, as a top Liverpool team, albeit they're not at their best, are they? Uh, and uh, you kind of understand that now as, as time goes by. But Everton facing them on that day, were very good. I was really optimistic um, following that match. So again, the, uh, Frank's had the break, been able to work a little bit more with his team. And uh, I'm, I'm expecting a more comfortable ride, let's say, from uh, from Everton this season. But given that, there's also this possibility of them not turning up on any given day because they've not shown me the consistency for long enough yet. And I was I was listening to to David Moyes you know, from the West Ham angle, uh, whereas last season they started and, and you know like um, you know like a bat out of hell really as far as picking up points were concerned, sitting up and around the top four for long long periods. They've started slow this season, and and David Moyes uh, uh, sort of described it as last season we went really strong, strong, strong and faded. Now we've done it. We're doing it the other way around. He hopes that they're going to build momentum, but I think going to Everton at this moment in time is not going to be easy. I think the preparation that Everton will have done uh, under Frank and the home support, um, who who are hundred percent believers again uh, in the club um, and 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 in Frank, so they've been happy with some of the acquisitions. Um, so I'm I'm very interested to see how it goes. But uh, home advantage to me is important for Everton in, you know, in any given season uh, because of the kind of atmosphere that is um, in and around Goodison Park. But you have to start making that count. And I think this is potentially a good game for for Everton to go into. I agree about what you say about uh, Goodison Park. And I was just thinking it's quite ironic that they're playing against West Ham this weekend because that final season that West Ham had at the bowling ground at, at Upton Park they kind of used that final swan song of being in that stadium to propel them to a, a really impressive season. Um, I wonder whether Everton will be able to do the same. Not this season, of course. They've got next season at Goodison Park and then it's the new ground if all things go to plan. So that that's an interesting concept to think of. But as for West Ham, Matty, why do you think it is that they've not got off to the, the greatest of starts? Is it a bit like what Trevor was saying? They faded away towards the end of last season. They've almost just carried that on into this one. I think they had a lot of games. We, on, we mentioned at the start of the programme, fixture schedule and everything. West Ham had 
loads of games and they didn't have a squad that could cope with that demand. As this year, they've added a lot of players, but then at the same time, Moyes has got to integrate the players from what he's got already into the team. I think it takes time. It just it doesn't happen overnight, and they're not they're not a type of team where you can just put a few new faces into it and everything's good as gold. Um, it does take time. You've got to get organised. What what the manager wants, how he's going to implement the players into the team, while still keeping the nucleus of what served them so well last year, particularly the the first half of the season. Um, so it's a difficult one, and I've sort of reading between the lines from the first few games and everything, there didn't seem to be that desire and a hunger and the the type of team have to fight for every single ball, and that seemed a little bit lacking, which was surprising. Um, so I think for this game, it's it's going to be one of them. Um, with Everton, you you look in, think they've they they look really organised at the minute. I'm still question the goals. More pays a good signing as well. But West Ham, they're, they're at the best on the counter. But with the addition of new players, they might play it slightly different to what they usually do. But we mentioned draws and everything. I see this one as a <laughs> nailed on draw. <laughs> we'll yeah. wait and find yeah. out. I've got that feeling as well, to be to be honest with you. yeah, I'm looking at a, a draw. Tired, I'm tired of draws watching Everton. Really. <laughs> well, this one kicks off at quarter past two on Sunday. Seven Premier League matches this weekend, and we'll review them all on Sunday's edition of the podcast with Fergal Brennan. He'll be looking about. He'll be looking back at those matches. So make sure you hit subscribe to this podcast, and that way you won't miss it. But next, we're going to talk about international football because the England squad is going to be finalised for the World Cup very soon. But first, it's the small matter of the final international break before that showpiece event in Qatar. Who will Gareth Southgate? be choosing we'll discuss it next the dugout premier league preview football social daily the dugout premier league preview football social daily Welcome back to the show. Final part of today's episode of The Dugout. Former Leicester and Forest striker Matty Fryer is with me and former Everton and England man Trevor Stephen here also. And Trevor's the, the right person to speak to here because he knows what it's like to play for England and England's squad for the upcoming internationals with Italy and Germany has been finalised by Gareth Southgate. This is the last international break before the World Cup in Qatar. And do you think that this squad is the closest indication, Trevor, of the final side, the final group that the manager is going to take for the three Lions to the World Cup? Uh, I think so. Um, what is going to be very interesting, and uh, we see this in full and analyse it, is how loyal he's been to the players who have not been playing regularly or, or, or playing well. Um and, and Harry Maguire is the obvious one to, to probably start with. If if he's keeping Harry Maguire in the squad, he's gone all out for loyalty with the players that have served him. I think that will be the key indicator for me. Someone like Mason Mount as well, who's had a real disappointing start to the season, um, has, has been a regular starter in recent matches for England. That's a question, question mark over him. He's another one who's searching for form. We know he's a good player. We know he's got the level. Um, but is he going to find it in time? Do you take out of form players into into the World Cup? Every game is vital now for for the fringe players, isn't it? Um, the majority of the squad, I think we, we, we'd all agree that 
that is already made up. There are probably about three or four uh, positions where um, there's still question marks. You know, Calvin Phillips as well at Man City. You know, it's someone who performed so well in the in the Euros for us. And um, I just think the midfield's a great example, Trevor. You mentioned Calvin Phillips. He's not played much at Man City. You know, West Ham are in the bottom three. Declan Rice plays for them. Jude Bellingham is very young. Jordan Henderson at Liverpool's looked a bit rusty this season. So in the middle of the park, do you think there's going to be a few concerns? Absolutely. And you know, you're you're asking the question and have I got a clear picture of it in my in my head and put myself into Gareth's uh, head as well because uh, Bellingham is obviously somebody who's who's making a noise at, at the moment and through the last two seasons but more consistency now than there's ever been which kind of tells you that he should be in the England starting lineup. No, he's, he's going to the World Cup we know that he should be in there um, it's how aggressive I suppose Gareth wants to be with his uh, picking of the team on form uh, and and you know the players that I don't think it's going to take any players who have not had good experience um, within the squad, other than the Ivan Tony, who, um, who who's going to be in the squad. Um, apart from that, the, the, it's going to be pretty much as it was. I don't think there's going to be any great surprises. You know, someone like Bowen from West Ham, Jared Bowen, Jared Bowen. Um, he looked every part a England player towards the end of last season. He is another one who's not started with any great zip about his about his play. And then there's the great Alexander-Arnold debate as well. You know, someone who is so helpful and so useful, but he's been very much off the pace for Liverpool. Um, it's difficult to know. But you mentioned Ivan Tony, and as you say, he's in the squad. Matty, as a striker yourself, does he deserve the chance? Has he, has he proven in the Premier League for Brentford he's worthy of a, of a chance to wear the England shirt? 100%. I think he's matured so much. He's obviously shown he was capable in the Championship. I thought last season he had a solid season in his, his first year in the Premier League. And then this year, obviously, the goals, you get mentioned on the goals. But it's not just the goals as well. It's all-round play. He really leads for Brentford. Um, and he's a reliable source. You can play the ball up to him. He can hold it up. And even the other week with his goals, he showed a lot more composure that than I'm used to seeing from him. I think he's taking his game on to the next step. He's full of confidence and he, he fully deserves that. He's playing at a team that it outside the sort of the main ones, but I think it should apply that anyone who's in good form should be entitled to a, a, a call up really, or should be in with a chance. It shouldn't matter what team you're from. If you're playing well, you should be under consideration. He's, he goes up against these individuals week in, week out and shows that he can perform. So, um, I think do, it was only you know, right. Do you think, do I think Matty, about um, any any player that from Gareth Southgate's thinking, um, they, they can't be really good and one dimensional. They've got to be able to do three or four things that gives them that potential to be picked in an England shirt. I think gone are the days when you just do you just do this. You cross the ball or you head the ball in. It's all about how that that team um, uh, set up formation is going to actually be on on any given day and how you how you're part of that um you know would, would you see Ivan Tony as a substitute um probably because of Harry Kane but let's say an injury did take place at the first stage of the world cup does Ivan Tony's style of play fit at the England squad how they play 
Um, that's the questions that, that Southgate's got. And obviously he feels, having picked him, that he does have that capacity to to show the different parts of his game. And I, I agree with you 100% that he, he should be in because he, he's really impressed me at the start of the season. Yeah, I think so. He, he He's a number nine, isn't he? He leads the line, similar to Kane. Obviously, Kane drops a little bit deeper, but he can operate by himself. And in England formation, it's normally sort of a lone forward, whether it's one playing off, but it's predominantly one up front on their own. And he does that well at Brentford. And obviously he's not going to start in front of Kane. And I think you, your next striker probably would be Abraham anyway. Um, but he does if, deserves his chance to be in the squad and it's up to him um, whether he can take that or not. But he's fully deserving of that. And on to that point, what was it like when Obviously, you got the call and sort of first game because obviously it's a new experience for him and playing for your country. And how do you approach that sort of moment? Oh, it was, you know, back back in the uh, mid eighties, you know, last century. Um, <laughs> to get to get the call uh, in those days was very different from now, albeit exceptional uh, achievement by anyone. Right to to get into into a, a national squad, um, but in the way of the world now, the players are far more um, worldly. Let's say because of social media, because of the, the the things that happen to them with the money in the game, and and they're far more broader in their knowledge. Um, I was completely overawed when I turned up for the England England squad, and you, you see these faces that you would only ever see, you know, occasionally on the TV back in the days of when I was playing uh, or international duty, you know, your, your Ray Wilkins, your Brian Robson, your Glenn Hoddles, people like that. Walking in to that kind of environment was very, very difficult. What has really turned is how Gareth Southgate has created a spirit and, a, and an atmosphere that has also been allowed to build because the teams get more time together now. Um, they've got a St George's Park, which also uh, has a an air of club about it, rather than just turning up as we used to do into hotels and go to go to a, a training pitch and go to a game. That's really what it was. So it has changed massively. I think I think um, Ivan Tony will will settle in absolutely easily uh, and and be very much part of it. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. The worst thing is. He gets, you know, he gets picked and he doesn't get any time on the pitch. That is a waste of time. So I'm looking forward to seeing, because I know he's going to get onto the pitch, really. Um, I'm looking forward to see how he adapts to that that different style, that different level um, when he's playing against, uh, you know, great readers of the game in, in international defences, uh, which is the difference for me. There's talent in, in, in Premier League. But when you get the collection of great footballing minds in international teams, that's when it becomes really hard and tough. So, um, but he's certainly a confident lad, and I'm sure you'll you'll do well. How did you find out, Trevor? Because nowadays they get a text, don't they, from the FA secretary saying you're in the England squad. Well done. So, did the who was the gaffer at the time? Did he pick up the old dog and bone and give you a call, or what was going on? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we, I'll be very brief. But we, we played Stoke City at, at home. We won four 0 I was twenty year old, uh, and not been around very long. But we we'd obviously playing in a team that's winning and etc etc I got a phone call on Saturday Saturday night I'd not been long in Howard Kendall called me 
he never calls me, <laughs> you know, never calls me. You know, this is just an un unheard of. So, yeah, but, yeah what is Trevor, and he said, did you have to go to the um, telephone box to receive it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but you know, you know the kind of phone it was, it was one of those daily ones, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, you use one finger to dial your number. <laughs> um, so he said, uh, well done today. Uh, Bob Robson's going to call you in five minutes. Um, well done today. And he didn't say anything more than that. And then Bobby Robson came on and, and told me that I've been brought into a squad, which was to play in Northern Ireland, the World Cup qualifier in Belfast, you know, four days later, three days later. Um, so the next morning I, I went off to... To, to to Belfast but that call it was one of those moments wasn't it you know uh, it was a, an out-of-body experience because you never think that you're good enough or it's it's not going to be you there's others and you admire so many other players yet you're the one who gets that nod and I'm sure Ivan Tony is uh, you know no matter if it was then or now the the thrill of being selected uh, is is what you play for yeah Ivan Tony to me doesn't give off the air of someone who lacks confidence. And actually, I wanted to ask you, Trevor, about the fact that he takes penalties for Brentford as well. Is that too much of a stretch to think that Gareth Southgate's already thinking about these attributes? Because only Leighton Baines scored more penalties for Everton than you did. So you're someone with experience of taking penalties. Do you think that Gareth Southgate's thinking about this in advance or is that a negative thought process? No, as far as statistics and facts, Gareth Southgate will look at everything. And you'll have a checklist, just just a checklist, just to um, cement his thinking about a player or, or several players. So you'll have a look at the checklist. What what does he bring? What does he bring? What does he bring? And that is really what um, Gareth's job is, to select someone who's capable of delivering on that stage. And Ivan Tony with his penalties, I mean, they're, they're beautiful to watch, aren't they? I mean, they're not just like tapped in the corner. I mean, he's putting his foot through it with accuracy that is is, is high level skillful. Now, um, the Premier League's a, you know a tough place to take uh, penalties, but going to international level when you've got the country watching and you're in a tournament, that's that's a different thing. But he's shown what he can do, you know, and um, I think it, it will be one of the factors. Maybe not a major one, but definitely one of the factors why, why he's in this uh, England squad now. So just finally then, Matty, on this, England have got Italy and Germany in their games during the international break. As good as test as any, really, to prepare yourself for a major tournament like a World Cup coming up against two sort of heavyweights of international football, two former World Cup winners. Big games. Big games. Looking at the squad, unless... A couple of players who might be outside the squad at the minute, unless someone does anything special, you'd probably say it was going to be the team that looks like going to the World Cup, really. Um, but obviously, tough task against two big nations in in football. Um, I, without going back round too much, I'm looking at the squad. I am concerned, as you said earlier, on that midfield partnership. Um, just on, and also what Trevor touched on is, is he going to stay loyal to the players who have served him so well who aren't currently playing? Um, so there's, he isn't quite all roses at the minute for Gareth Southgate in terms of how it was and going off previous tournaments. It isn't quite settled. Um, 
So there's still work to do. It'll be interesting to see to see these games and that midfield area. I do do sort of worrying. There's a couple of players sort of out of form or the ones he relies on or serves them so well and knows what they can do. But sometimes you might need a, a surprise, someone with a bit more creativity as well. I do worry on the creative side of England's play. Um, he's never really looked at Madison. I'm not echoing that James Madison should be in it, for example, but sometimes I do worry about the lack of creativity as well. So this is this is an unusual thing that's happening now, isn't it? Because we've got actually competitive games before a World Cup. Now, these you know, um, Nations League matches, right? So what we've got as well is that going into a World Cup, which I think is 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 a first. If, I, if I'm right. Um, so they're competitive before a competitive tournament. Normally you go to a tournament on the back of warm-up friendlies kind of thing where it doesn't really matter so much. But at the end of the day, these are going to be meaningful results. Um, are, are, so- the, are they competitive though? Or is it just a spin on it with the friendlies with a little mix of well, it's well, Nations League? It is, and then you get to the the fact that if you finish bottom of the Nations League, you start to go out the other end, you go to the next level, you know, and, and you lose your status. So there's an element that's a bit confusing as to, uh, you know, how, how flexible Gareth Southgate can actually be with his selections. It makes your qualification groups harder as well. If you slide down the rankings, you get seeded differently and put in different pots and stuff, but... You know, that's there's all part of a plan to sort of rejuvenate international football. But let's face it, people only really care when there's a Euros or a World Cup on. It doesn't matter whether it's Nations League or not. I think there's a lot of people that probably only really want to focus on the, the big ones. And there is no bigger than the FIFA World Cup, which is in Qatar. It's in the Middle East and it is in November. And this is the final international break before that takes place. So I'm sure we'll be hearing from Trevor and Matty before then on the dugout. But that is it for today's episode of the show. Appreciate the gents giving up their time again on the podcast. Don't forget if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss another episode of the show again. Brand new Premier League podcast every single day including through the international break. So we'll keep you updated on all of the latest Premier League news. But from myself, Matty, Trevor, that's it. We'll see you next time. The Dugout Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.